This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. On March 16, 1977, 11-year-old Timothy King went to buy candy at a local drugstore. He left the store alive, but he would never make it home. His body was found six days later. Was he a victim of the infamous Oakland County child killer? If you enjoy this episode and want to listen to more true crime events from history, check out our series Today in True Crime. You can find new episodes every day. Follow Today in True Crime free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today is Monday, March 16th, 2020. On this day in 1977, 11-year-old Timothy King vanished from his hometown of Birmingham, Michigan. His body would later be discovered on the side of the road, marking him as the fourth victim of the Oakland County child killer. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the disappearance of Timothy King. Let's go back to Birmingham, Michigan on March 16, 1977, around 8 p.m. Eleven-year-old Timothy King looked at his sister expectantly. She was rifling through her purse, searching for something to give him. The sun had already lowered, but Timothy desperately wanted to ride his skateboard before going to bed. Normally, his parents discouraged nighttime skating, but if he had a reason to leave the house, they typically trusted him to make it back safe and sound. He was a straight-A student, after all. He was mature, responsible. And when his sister dropped 30 cents in his hand, he knew he was loved. Timothy raced to the door, grabbed his skateboard, and stepped outside. He hopped onto his board and sped down the road, feeling the wind flowing through his hair. In short order, he reached the Hunter Maple Pharmacy, a corner store in a shopping complex just down the street from his home. He picked up his skateboard, walked inside, and bought some candy. He stashed the candy in his pocket, then exited the pharmacy through the back entrance. Meanwhile, his family waited for him to return home, but as the night stretched on, it seemed clear that Timothy 
was not coming back. Somebody had taken him. Somebody awful. With Timothy missing, his family grew desperate. The news broadcast their pleas to the kidnapper across the local television stations. Please don't hurt our child. Please set him free unharmed. Let him come home so we can eat his favorite meal, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Six days passed, and Timothy still had yet to be found. But on March 22nd, all hope would be lost. In the late hours of the night, two teenagers were driving down a back road in Livonia, Michigan, a town 20 miles south of Birmingham. Their headlights flashed against the reflective posts lining the roadside ditch, then shone on the body of a young boy. The teens ran out of their car to check on the child, but they were horrified to find that he was already dead. They were further horrified to discover that this was Timothy King, the missing boy whose kidnapping had been front-page news for days. Strangely, Timothy's body was strikingly clean. His clothes had been washed and pressed, and he'd been deliberately placed in the ditch, his skateboard lying neatly beside him. A post-mortem examination of his body revealed that he'd been smothered to death. His wrists showed rope marks, indicating he'd been bound, and his body had been sexually assaulted with an object of some kind. And to top it all off, his stomach was full of fried chicken. Whoever had taken Timothy had seen his parents beg for his return, fed him his favorite food, then killed him anyway. The crime was horrific, but it was not unique. The greater Detroit area of Michigan had been scarred by the murders of three other children, just like Timothy. He'd become the fourth victim of the Oakland County child killer. We'll learn more about the Oakland County child killer after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On March 16, 1977, 11-year-old Timothy King was abducted outside of a shopping center. His body was found six days later, and police would soon realize he was the fourth in a string of killings accredited to the Oakland County child killer. The child killer's reign of terror began on February 15, 1976. A 12-year-old boy named Mark Stebbins had left his local American Legion Lodge to walk home and watch television. Instead, he was snatched up on the streets and hauled to an unknown location. Mark was held by his captors for four days. He was found discarded in a pile of snow 12 miles away from his home. 
His clothing had been cleaned and pressed, his arms bound, his throat strangled, and his body sexually violated by an unknown object. The killings continued a little less than a year later. On December 22, 1976, 12-year-old Jill Robinson ran away from home after getting into an argument with her mother. Four days later, her body was found lying in a ditch beside Interstate 75. Much like Mark Stebbins, Jill was fully clothed and deliberately positioned in public view. Unlike Mark, Jill had been murdered with a shotgun blast to the face, a brutal and graphic display of violence for all the world to see. The next crime would happen only weeks later. On January 2, 1977, 10-year-old Christine Mihelich was abducted on her way home from a 7-Eleven. Her body was discovered on the side of the road 19 days later. She'd been smothered and left fully dressed in the snow. After three similar killings, all within a year's time span, Michigan State Police became convinced that they had a serial killer stalking the area. They dubbed him the Oakland County Child Killer and formed a task force to hunt him down. The task force's investigation would involve over 13 different law enforcement agencies, and it would break records as one of the largest police investigations ever conducted within the United States. Yet for all their efforts, the killer spree would continue with the murder of Timothy King. Timothy King's death would drive the most media coverage the killings had ever received and garnered the police over 18,000 tips from the public. They'd thoroughly investigate each one. Most tips proved to be dead ends. However, one woman happened to have spotted Timothy King on the night of his disappearance. She claimed that she'd seen him talking with a white man between the ages of 25 and 35, with a dark complexion, shaggy hair, and long sideburns. The police drew up a composite sketch of the man, but sadly, this lead would go nowhere fast. Despite a massive investigation and the tragic deaths of four children, the Oakland County child killings remain unsolved to this day. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. To learn more about the Oakland County Child Killer, check out our episodes of Unsolved Murders on the subject. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hovseth, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 